0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives.
2: I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better.
0: I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show Because to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support
3: in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
4: Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit MOFAD.org. Hey,
5: hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
4: We
1: talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
3: Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting in it feels like I'm in London. It feels
6: So we did our job. Then.
3: So you did your job. <laughs> uh I'm sitting uh West Pico yes. with Sophie Huderstein. Correct, yes. Uh well done. The name does not imply the accent.
6: It's true, it's true. I'm a bit confusing, but German mother? German mother and father.
3: German mother and father who moved to England, right, England, where I was born. Yes. Wow. So yeah,
6: it was a bit confusing for everybody, including myself. I didn't quite understand why I sounded so different yeah. than they
3: did. Yeah, <laughs> that must make uh, family reunions a little.
6: Yes, but everybody speaks English these days, so. it's
3: Spreken Sie Deutsch? Yeah, ja, natürlich. Uh, okay, that's that, I don't. <laughs> so, I, I don't even know if you answered me correctly. So
6: they, I think so. I think okay.
3: So. <laughs> um, so welcome. We are at your uh, your place of of business, the Wellsburn. Um, it is gorgeous. Thank you. Um, it is definitely one of those places that um, I, I would assume if it ever got cold in LA, um, I would want to tuck in for for quite a while.
6: Yeah, the, we tried to go for cozy, but home away from home, and make you feel a little like you're getting you know a bit of sophistication, luxury, but but really comfortable was the main point.
3: It's very comfortable. I mean that that. Uh, uh, old-fashioned, a book, and that fire over there, and yeah. I think I could be here for a few hours. And a few drinks, hopefully, too. Couple, cu- fine, <laughs> and couple now some Old-fashioned, yes. <laughs> and now some food, which yeah. we're going to get to in the second part of the interview. So when did you make it over to the States?
6: So I um, went to Northwestern University just outside of Chicago. Love it. Um, and went there to study film and business. Mm-hmm. Grew up in hospitality, but I think like all people with parents that they love, they kind of tend to either love what the parents do or avoid it at all costs.
3: So what did your mom and dad do? Um, My parents
6: were both chefs. Um, My father was uh, one of the, considered at the time at his age, one of the best chefs in Germany. So they loved food. I mean, we had mise en place on how to do our cereal in the morning, you know, separating everything before we were allowed to eat it.
3: What was like, like Cheerios, raisins and Yeah, but just,
6: just, you know, when you're going to put your muesli together, you had to have it all organized. Um, So, you know cooking and and, and chef the chef world was part of our life and, and
3: what then, did your father cook
6: um he but he was from Nuremberg in Germany okay. my mother was from the Black Forest but then they had their own little uh, shindig in Germany and then right before I was born moved to England and had a little inn and then they progressed and worked very hard and by the time they retired they had a hotel with about 150 bedrooms
3: what was the name of the hotel uh,
6: it's called the windmill park in Stratford-up-and-Avon in, in England wow. right next to Wellsbourne. Um, and uh, then the Stratford Manor which was the final one um, which they took over at Old Hospital and they turned it into this like exquisite Victorian style thing with penny farthings and that's where I learned a lot of my thematic kind of uh, how to do businesses in a thematic way that make transport people slightly away from you know maybe what they're expecting Um, and that's kind of it was part of Growing up, visualizing spaces like that.
3: So it seems like you embraced it. Yes, you did not run away. I
6: did. I think I really wanted to be in film, and and that was something that I loved very much. Above everything, movies were everything. But which is funny now is kind of set design and things like that that I end up kind of doing
3: in in the business. I mean, it's it's transportative. Thank you,
6: thank you. So yeah, and then that's graduated, moved out to Los Angeles. Uh, worked uh, at a talent agency here. Really wanted to be an agent. Um, I liked the idea that I like the idea that it was uh, that you were able to sort of be your own business person, mm-hmm. but have a roof over your head where someone else was worrying about those sorts of things, which is just when you have your own business, you spend a lot of time worrying about, like a, you know, rent and how to make ends meet, and and I liked
3: you know. But, but it seems like from your parents, you like a lot of times when people worry about doing their own business, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, A lot of times, their parents may have not gone into their not may have not been an example, and you had something to lean on where you you could see the worry. I'm sure your parents didn't hide it from you. Oh no, not at all.
6: We were in every meeting since we were because they didn't have time to not have us there.
3: What what did you do for your parents when you when did they put you to work?
6: Um, I think they were very conscious because they both didn't graduate high school, so they were very big on school. So I was very fortunate in the sense that they they. We helped as much as we could and I'm, I'm sitting in accounts, you know, doing accounts with my mother sure. and like counting things and make sure everything was right and learning service. I mean, we answered the phone as soon as we could speak, like, who just residence? How am I help you? Because you, home was always business, business was always, home. It was there was no separation, um, but you know, serving coffees, learning how to do things like that properly. Uh, cutting an onion properly as a kid, things like that. It sounds ridiculous. Would, but would, just, that,
3: would that be punishment? Like you're going to chop this whole bag of onions until it's correct? I
6: do remember once my father made me, I did said something really cheeky and naughty, and he made me, I think, sweep the entire parking lot of the hotel <laughs> and just laugh from the window. And I remember that as one of my earliest memories of just with a big broom taller than I was, just sweeping the entire of oh all the leaves in England, which is a lot. That's so, a lot. It's
3: so, almost uh, as much as all the tea in China. Exactly. Right? Well, I
6: don't know about that. But yeah, so uh, that that was part of, uh, growing up and I, I appreciate it. I saw it was a lot of work, but,
3: um, but you had a roadmap. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you saw the hard work and the payoff and you knew that especially in any business or, I mean, any career, right. there's peaks and valleys and things like that.
6: I think the benefit of it to be perfectly frank is that I didn't realize how much work it was because they handled it with such class. <laughs> and so I was actually kind of, Shocked at even how much it was because it was so normal to me to have see people with their own business. But I think when you when you get into it yourself, if if I had known maybe quite as much as I do now, it would have been a much scarier prospect. I was I was a little loose about i oh, just have a I'm just going to open a business like. <laughs> so
3: so you're thirty now. Yes. And you've 31. had the bar thirty-one now. Yeah. You've had the bar for six years, which yeah. means you started having the idea when you were twenty-four. Yes. Which is not. The most uncommon thing, but when you people think of 24-year-olds opening a bar, they think of very much just like, hey, we're going to open a bar and we're going to have like stools and beers. This is not that. Right. This is a very refined, something that people would open up in a much maybe later stage in life. Right. So how did the idea come about, and what did your family and friends think <laughs> when you're like, I'm going to open up this very posh leather cocktail bar?
6: I think, you know... LA is a wonderful city because it's a lot of big personalities but on the other hand too people often say things maybe they don't quite mean so I think a lot of people didn't believe me um, which is fine and I understand fine. that because at 24 I don't know if I'd have believed a bunch of other people saying the same thing too but um, I was working at a talent agency and I really respect that world because it's a lot of paying your dues it's very very similar to chef world you start yeah, in sure. a mail room you know peeling potatoes equivalent and then you move your way up and um They were, you know, these people, wonderful people, educated with with great degrees, you know, barely surviving here because it's a very, very low um, wage. And uh, every night they have to network in order to either, you know, Advance. advance rise up the ladder or, or move around in their companies so there they are making 28 30 thousand dollars a year you know paying off student loans parents are helping them with rent and then they need to go out so in their h&m suit you know trying their best to yep. live the dream and then they'll go to some certain places around la at the time and it was 15 dollars for a cocktail so they're holding on to that and their blackberry for dear life like i if i finish yeah. this like i look stupid and i just top
3: this off with a little bit of water yeah could you
6: could you bit more ice please yeah Um, and so there was that angle or you could go to sports bars sure and you were overdressed and felt kind of a little bit like well you know i'm working so hard i'm talking to so and so on the phone and now here i am kind of feeling a bit like a i should be a bro today yeah so i just it kept driving me nuts like why isn't there a nicer place where you feel kind of like you've made it but you're not paying the price sure. of you know a lot of these higher end spots in West Hollywood and stuff like that at the time and and it, right at the time too there was a, uh, the Roger Room was one of my favorite places Ladiscaga had just opened mm-hmm. and, and, and I was seeing thematics I was seeing New York coming to LA I was mm. seeing this kind of really grand uh, 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 decision to not just do chic and shiny and and Glass and, and disco balls. It was it was the total other direction, mm-hmm. and so just it started gnawing on me every night when I went to bed. Like, what if I did? What if I did? What if I did? And that's. Then one day I just said, "Let's do it." Um, and so I left the agency, and then because uh, so I've got my ducks in a row, and you know, figured it all out, and then came back and uh, got it going.
3: Now, when you say ducks in a row, um, what is it like as a 24 year old to put together a business plan and to you? Re- Get the financing, the real estate, the everything.
6: It's petrifying. I mean, I cannot express to you when you start dealing for the first time with checks that are, you know, more than you ever thought you might make in terms of just just going out. out. I mean, I never. Uh, i i 'm quite surprised sometimes at how anybody does it, and I have a lot more respect for anybody that opens their own business sure. because uh it's it's you really worry that if you have any respect for money and, and how hard it is to earn it it is it 's so scary to be dealing with that because you every time you do it you're like i 'm potentially losing what some people earn in a year yeah and and you you have to be i think if you keep that respect for it constantly and don 't be over the top with how you spend and be very cautious i mean i at one point towards the end I nearly you know, we were eating half a subway. The people that you know, were friends of that were course. helping me, half a subway. We painted everything because the quote came in. Oh, it's going to be fifteen thousand to paint. us. so oh, I don't have that. So we painted everything all night with no heat. You know, no light. Just sure. make, You know, you have to. You sure. have to be able to throw in, and if you can. And some people are fortunate enough not to have to do that. Um, but that, that <coughs> I think then sometimes decisions get made that like, oh, we need this two hundred fifty thousand dollar. Uh, art piece, well, that's great if you can do it, but that money could be m- much better spent you know in other areas.
3: Oh my God I mean when when the money when you know how much a dollar goes and how much what it can get. But it doesn't even feel like you skimped. I mean, it feels so. Na- I mean, was it built in stages though? Because no, I mean,
6: we. It was a um, um, was called Anna's Italian Restaurant. It had been here since nineteen forty. Sure. And we gutted the whole place, not on purpose, just because it was falling apart. Sure. The whole front was off. It was. Down. I mean, there was no ceiling, uh, no concrete, and you know, it was just the two bearing walls. And it's also going with the flow. To be perfectly honest, I originally wanted this to be like a South African lodge theme because it was so warm always in LA and I wanted it to be like a tree inside and you'd have kind of the equivalent of tiki cocktails but far more you know that uh, would around be the world
3: so confusing to know your name hear your accent and then come <laughs> inside and be South African at least here it's English to English
6: yeah well, fair enough and then that's also you know I built the brand that way that was yeah. good but uh we 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 then <coughs> found out these these two walls were bearing walls and we couldn't move them and so I said okay what well, has three rooms but it's still open plan and it started I was like okay I grew up in, you know very old world countryside England yeah. and I thought games room library lounge boom put a 30 foot bar through all three yeah. and then you feel like kind of you're in a house and that's where we started building it and to be honest with you a lot of people don't know a woman owns this they think it's a 55 year old man I mean it and feels
3: it feels that way but it's very refreshing to see yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> unusual
6: people are like oh you know I get asked, they
3: still don't believe you no
6: they, I always get asked where my husband is or, or in the beginning where my father was which is very rude but you know you kind of bat
3: it off and keep keep walking yeah, that's, that is. So, all right, so we're going to take a quick break. Sure. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about early days, the cocktails, and the new food menu. Uh, we have a, a, a tasty tune from Small Black here live on Snacky Tunes. Welcome back to the English countryside <laughs> uh, on West Pico in Los Angeles. I'm with Sophie Um I feel like I should like be drinking beer every time I say yeah. your
6: name. Oh, it's because it's very German, yeah. Well, it's Oktoberfest right now. It so is Oktoberfest.
3: And I feel that that joke was probably the most common said joke to you. Oh,
6: no, I get people doing my accent far more. Like, Please, sir, can I have some more? Really? You know, you oh just, that's, that's far more common.
3: So we are in uh, your English countryside manor, the Wells Warren, um, and so after you built this by hand, which is, I mean, if no, or I, can you talk a little bit about what it is to have built something like this, and then to the disassociation in times when you're like, now you've been up and running for six years, sometimes you forget until you like look at a corner, right? And you're like, oh, I remember when I painted that.
6: I think it's just really, I always try to think about it from the customer's perspective, and and I think you. you I was so excited when things worked and when we, we thought about uh, seating or having a lot of open free seating and things like that and you see it work for people or um, just the building itself. It it was, I wanted it not to be hokey and Disney, too, too Disney-esque sure. and thematic, but really give you something that you're not going to get in your house because I personally, truly, I know people think this is a lie, but I truly believe it's an honor that anybody comes here to do something that they could probably do in their apartment for fifteen, you know, for like a fifteenth of the price, uh, sure. with their friends. So if you're going to come all the way out to see us, and at the time we were quite lonely out here in West LA, there wasn't as much going on. Yeah. So
3: what was it like when you opened? Because because well, th- this part of LA was not right. You had the Apple Pan.
6: Yeah. Well, I and mean, when that's enough, that should be enough to get anybody over here. But, I know. Uh, uh, well, you know, you had Century City, you had Culver City booming, but then sure. of course the recession hit, and a lot of those condos that were planned to happen you know Culver City hit a bit of rough times there's some great spaces out there but there were even more wonderful places that ended up not coming to fruition just because the area didn't blossom quite as quickly mm-hmm. at the time and I really at the time there wasn't uber and I was watching people as a foreigner it's crazy how much people drink and drive here and at the time it was rampant you know people were, were yeah. drinking and driving and uh, the issue often was is it was impossible to get a taxi, and more yeah. importantly, the distances you would have to go made it very tempting if you weren't, you know, falling out of control financially to not drive sometimes. Sure. So here we are in the middle of where everybody was kind of living, but there weren't really a lot of places to go out here. Uh, Bigfoot Lodge West was doing very well, the, you know, as I said, Culver City was coming up, but these are all a few miles away. So we're at the intersection here of the 4 or 5 and the 10, and because of that, we felt like, why don't we put, why don't I put something here? where everybody lives rather sure. than having to go to la cienega at the time to go sure. sort of that direction or santa monica you know which are all 10 15 minute drives and and that's we, everything was from the customer's perspective like can we put it closer to you can we make it uh easy to navigate can we make the the space warm and rich without being uncomfortable you know yeah. and, and and things like that just of that's how we developed the whole you know and when i say we it's just i uh, work with a lot of people i like to give them credit but um i really wanted it to be a very um, sophisticated place that wasn't unapproachable. We didn't have dress codes because I figured people were smart enough to walk in. And if they're in flip-flops and they're welcome, if they then come in here, they probably go, oh, well, I could put on a dress next time. Yeah. That would be nice. And then they do. We don't need to tell them that. Why would we, you know, no, they're smart enough to figure it out. So it was a lot of that stuff just being fair, being being fair to the customer that they're smart enough and and, and, and often... Uh, interested enough to, to come with us on the journey of escaping a little bit.
3: So it sounds like from the very beginning you had a, a clientele who were willing to support.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people. I love LA if for many reasons, but if only had to pick one, it's the fact that people here are so adventurous and they will genuinely... You can get people to try anything once here. It's unbelievable. Getting them to come back, that's the that's the that's really the big hit. Can you make someone come back to your establishment? Getting them to try something sure. is... Like, for me, I found it very easy. Of course. Um, people will drive 40 minutes here to try something they heard in the Valley is really good. Or mm-hmm. we'll get people from Sherman Oaks. I'm like, how did you, why would you come? Although, thank you, but thank that's you. far, you know. But it that's wonderful. And I, and I really respect and, and love LA for that.
3: Now, part of the reason why they come back is because of the drinks. Yes. So, how did your drink program come about? Because it is very much what you would want to drink. It is very dark- Liquor right and cocktails and well crafted artisanal stuff, and right. how did they come about, and, and who 's the staff that helps you make those elixirs
6: so we, we, when I sat down and I realized what was going on is that at the time Mad Men was huge, uh, uh, people, as I said, the Roger room these really cocktail of uh, the varnished cocktail dens of, of just for aficionados were really popping up. And doing so well and, and really respected. And I love what they were doing, but it was very unapproachable. If you didn't know a lot about drinks, you mm-hmm. would go up and these bartenders would make you feel very intimidated. Oh my
3: God, I remember ordering a Dirty Martini. My friend, I won't say the name of the bar, but I remembered, I was like, I'm going to drink all your, your potions tonight. But I just want to start with Dirty Martini. He said, absolutely not.
6: And and I was like, I know you. I And it's, and it's, it's this feeling of being judged and... Being scared, like for some reason, I always I, I remember being in college too. Like you go up to order a drink and you have this big plan that you want to try a Harvey Wallbanger or you heard something, yeah, and you, and you go uh, uh, v- uh, vodka cranberry, Jack and Coke because you're nervous and you just don't know. You don't embarrass yourself. The the bartender's already kind of aggressive, so the whole point was to have really approachable bartenders, sure. extremely knowledgeable, yeah, that don't judge you because let's be honest, vodka pays the bills. Oh my god, and that's a famous saying because it's factual. And then but. If someone orders a Jack and Coke, let them. And then when it's the third time, say, "Well, you know, is there something I can? I can are you brave enough to come with me on sure. a journey to try something a little bit different?" And what we found out is that often people are ordering stuff because they think it's the most potent. Like a Long Island iced tea, but there are drinks on our menu that <laughs> you. total total you out compared what, to that. What's
3: what's the uh, strongest concoction on the menu? I, I
6: think anything with anything with absinthe in it as an addition, mm. um, um, uh, you know, even sazeracs things like that. When you're rinsing, you're, you're taking it. You know, your brain even as a placebo effect is feeling like there's a lot going on. So it's the, your brain's like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. But um, and so yeah, the, and then the other thing is coming from from Europe. I love that in Europe, you would. Go to any bar, especially hotel bars, and, mm-hmm. like that, and you could say this classic, and they would know it and they would make it. And then you came here, and they, they were having wonderfully developed cocktail menus, but it was all totally local to that spot. So you could find a drink you loved, and then what? You're going to take the recipe down and ask the next bartender at the other joint to, to make it? It's not going to happen. No. So I said, why don't we focus on teaching people without being patronizing the, the sort of the top 10, 15, 20 classics yeah. and see where they like, you know, what they like, and then they can go around the world and order that and have at least one drink in their back pocket that they will enjoy, not just suffer
3: through. That makes them feel like that they can impress. Right. Uh, Yeah, because sometimes when you go to these cocktail bars, you're like, I I don't know, they created it in-house, I can't even remember what's in it. Right. But if I know I can go anywhere in the world and be like, I'd like a penicillin.
6: One of my favorites, by the way. Oh, my God. It was
3: was my my groom's cocktail.
6: (laughs) See? So, you know, anything like that is such a weight off your shoulder. You're supposed to be having fun, not stressing about ordering. And and some
3: of the times these drinks, if you're not used to these flavors, you're just like, I don't like this. Right. And And even having
6: tasting notes. We started having tasting notes. Like, this is what this kind of tastes like or this is the direction it goes in. And people were like, oh. I like refreshing. That says refreshing. That's what I'm going to get. And so
3: what was the feedback? Did people actually come up to you or the bartenders and be like, I really appreciate your approach to cocktails and what you're doing here? Yeah, I think
6: we, at the time, we the old fashions were not on people's menus sure. and now it's like one of the number one cocktails and i'm not saying we're responsible for that by any means but definitely being a little bit more engaging with sure. allowing those things to be on there and 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 then of course don't get me wrong within two years we were already a little bit behind because then a lot of people were doing classics so now we've really developed quite an extensive program of dealer's choice to 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 we have on, on second thought on our menu where it's we change that all the time it's a, a second round of mm-hmm. wonderful classics that keep refreshing and and uh we of course you know our bartenders are extremely talented if they can make 200 classic cocktails the 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 algorithm for how they you know make it the matrix mm-hmm. for how they make those drinks is repli- they can replicate that with any other flavor so you know the, the, the wheel's been you know made on this it's just so they're just they're, they can really create wonderful drinks for you just because you say i like this and this, this and this yeah. and they they will not just give you a Classic. They'll they'll really go for it. There's a lot of places where they're doing the Steelers' choice. They ask you what your spirit is, what you mm-hmm. this, and then they can end up making
3: just you know, a very a, basic classic. Which
6: is nothing wrong with that. But it's nothing wrong. Yeah,
3: nothing wrong. Now you just launched a food program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what brought that about, and what are you serving?
6: So, uh, I've obviously grown up in food, and I love food. And I think sure. I was very nervous about food because I wanted to do it right. If we were going to do it, it had to be um, as. Easy to eat in the sense of like you're you're basic you're at a you're at a lounge so yeah. I mean, this is not a sit down place, uh, I needed food that was just as uh, for me as exquisite as we could be you know for where we are and and for, for how people are going to eat here and we wanted it to be shareable, um, priced right things sure. like that but still be sophisticated and, and and be be brave so we have from foie and 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 you know things like that on the menu that that we really try to to push without overwhelming people and, and patronising them but every single item was at some point alcohol influenced so we have like orange marmalade, cognac wings mm. and uh, whiskey cured pork belly mm-hmm. uh, we did uh, uh, cider uh, vinegar, uh, ribs pork ribs. and Everything so
3: that, you're saying sounds <laughs> awesome. So
6: it was comfort food, approachable definitely European influenced a little bit but definitely using alcohol as kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a vessel to, to kind of mess with it a little bit and uh, even you know uh, at one point we they weren't really very popular, but we had uh, oysters with a mescal reduction on top, roasted sure. oysters and things like that. So just, we were constantly playing around with, not, as I said, I, I, I love food and I respect food so much that I, we were never trying to compete with uh, uh, some of these wonderful groups like, you know, Son of a Gun and, and Animal No, Officer, of course. But definitely you arrive here, you can have a few shared plates with people and your evening's complete. I wanted to complete the package that you didn't necessarily have to go somewhere else for dinner.
3: And the response
6: really well. I mean, we're, we're, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that we do food now. So a lot of people still instinctively put cocktails here Go restaurant. Right. But then when they see the food go by, you see the eye kind of catch. Like, oh, damn it. And I did this thing where I put it on tiered trays, mm, like the old mm-hmm. tea service. So that means when you're sitting having drinks, it's not taking up that much I space. Love it. Um and that was a fight too to figure out how to make handheld food and and fork and knife food vertical and not, you know, sticky and it's a it was a always, lot of work. I've
3: always felt that English tea service is missing ribs and wings. yeah so I, I,
6: I, <laughs> We should go talk to Claridges and the Savoy oh, yeah, and yeah, in London yeah. and tell them. So
3: have you thought? We? Listen, I know, I know it's working, but just hear us out. Yeah. Um, so what's next? Uh, what, uh, sites on a second location.
6: I we'll never repeat the same thing again. because sure. I think it kind of devalues what we, what, what people experience. Of course. I think I hate someone to go to Vegas and see this exact thing and be like, Oh, okay.
3: I'm telling yeah. you right now, if I went to Vegas and knew there was a lounge like this, I They're w- trying
6: these things now they're yeah. going for it. They're going far more, you know, antique and artisanal there. It's crazy. Um, I'm looking to do, I think a bigger space, uh, not necessarily in LA. I'm thinking Chicago, Shytown. town, uh, love back, Chicago, back, back to, back to the roots, the college roots. And, uh, Bigger, bigger, big. I want to do dancing. I want to add things like that. Um, what
3: type of dancing would you do? I,
6: I think, you know, a good, good sexy DJ never hurting anybody, no. you know? And, and Chicago has such incredible food. And oh my gosh, the food. The, now the cocktail programs.
3: I mean, I think the food and drinks in Chicago, you know, people talk New York, San Francisco, and LA. But Chicago, I, I, I can't say number one because I'll get run out of town. <laughs> but the the fact that they're the heartland Midwest, mm-hmm. but also probably the most modern thinking.
6: And and they're, yeah, they're brave, but they're also humble. And that's why yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. But on a Friday night in Chicago, in the top 10 restaurants, if you haven't pre-booked, you can't get a seat. So oh my God, there's can't. also the desire there, maybe because when it gets cold, there's not so many other things you can do on your Friday. But the, it really is, they, they love their food and drink out mm. there. And I'm so Excited to possibly get into a world like that again, where it's not so much just part of the course; it's really something they, they like surround the whole evening around. Um,
3: Absolutely. Well, Sophie, yeah. thank you so much for walking uh, us into your English Manor. <laughs> I appreciate it. Congratulations on the new food menu and. Thank you. The next chapter in your life? Will you be building this one out and painting the walls as well?
6: Probably. I, think, yeah. I don't think you ever stop uh, doing that. No, I don't. <laughs> well,
3: your parents should be very proud of you, continue the you. tradition of hospitality. Uh, if people want to come visit or check you out online, where can they go?
6: Uh, I mean, from from Facebook to the the One dot com. I mean, we're we're everywhere. We've got a nice new Instagram I'm trying to take. Pictures.
3: How's that going? How's the Instagram?
6: It's man? good. It's good. I I mean, it, it, it pictures really well here. We've had a lot of you know, TV shows film here because it's very warm, modern family things like that. Um, because it gives that vibe. Often the pictures are coming out really nicely without you know, what's it called hashtag no filter or whatever ridiculous oh name we said. We don't do that too much because it looks it films
3: well. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, we have a track from one of our first bands who ever played live here, Freelance Wales here live on Snacky Tunes.
5: Shot a glance like I was doing okay
4: 50,000 Chinese-American restaurants in the U.S. That's more than three times the number of McDonald's. How did Chinese-American food become so popular? And what's the story behind their unique menu of dishes like egg rolls and General's chicken? Brooklyn's Museum of Food and Drink is going to explain it all with our next exhibition, Chow, the Making of Chinese-American Cuisine, featuring tastings, beautiful artifacts, and live demos of a fortune cookie machine. Visit chow.mofad.org to learn more, get advanced tickets, and help us make this exhibition a reality. Again, that's the Museum of Food and Drink at C-H-O-W, chow.mofad.org.
3: Welcome back. We have Harsh Crowd live in studio. Uh, do you want to go around and introduce yourselves? Yes. Yeah, sure. And the instrument that you play?
7: <coughs> um, I'm Dea and I play guitar. Okay. I'm
8: Willow, and I sing, vocalist. I'm Lena, I play the drums. I'm Rihanna, and I play the bass and the piano. Uh,
3: <coughs> so why don't you tell people how you met?
7: Who wants to go? Rihanna, Rihanna should... Rihanna Rihanna, why, why don't
3: you... Okay. Tell us a good origin um, story.
8: Good old we all story. met at Willie May Rock Camp for Girls. Um, we were put into a band. Okay. And um, we were, you know, put into a band and...
7: What? Basically, we went... We all went to the same camp, which was Willie May Rock Camp for Girls. Yeah. And um, we just randomly were jumbled together into a group and um, we formed a band, and we spent that whole week creating a song. And we actually created two songs, and so we weren't supposed to, and we figured a way how to morph them together. And then we kind of just stuck to it afterwards, and it's three years later? Yeah. yeah.
3: And yeah. Um, for <laughs> listeners who don't know, what is the Willie Mae Willie Rock for Girls?
2: The um, Willie Mae Rock... Wait, Rihanna, <laughs> did you want to... No. Okay. <laughs> the Willie May Rock for Girls is... um. The camp that we have all gone to, it's um, a rock, it's like a camp for girls, only girls. It's like about women's empowerment and um, being a woman in the world of rock and roll. And it's kind of all about empowering girls to do whatever they want. And like, you know, it's like to say girls can do whatever guys can do and just as well. And. That's kind of like the whole atmosphere of the rock camp. And so it's for girls 8 to 18. Mm. And they put you up in random bands. And for a week, you like, you go to workshops in the morning and the afternoon like about empowerment and stuff. And then after lunch, you have band practice, which is where you get into these bands that they put you in. And you practice for a week. And at the end of the week, you do this <laughs> big show for like a song you wrote.
3: And... You didn't know each other before, so what brought each of you to the rock camp?
7: Oh, man. Um, I've, I personally have been going since I was eight, and I knew about it since I was, like, six, and I was just waiting until I turned eight. And then I finally turned eight, and I was like, yes, I can go! And I've gone ever <laughs> since I was eight, and I'm 14 now. Okay.
9: Yeah, me too. I've gone ever since I was eight, and I just thought it was a really great idea to go, even when I was younger, because I hadn't played an instrument before, and it was a really great um, way to start playing drums um, because I didn't take any lessons or anything before that. And actually, the camp was the thing that started, you know, my whole drumming life, which is my whole life now. And um, you know, ever since I was little, I loved music, so it was a—it's just—it was a perfect fit for us.
8: Um, this is Yana, and I—I I just went when I was like eight, nine, and it like helped me with my confidence. And it helped me play the piano better, and the and then I picked up the bass. Yeah, and now you're fabulous. Yeah. But what wins Bakes
3: over? Will. What wins over now? The bass and <coughs> the piano.
8: Well, I've st- played the piano since I was four, but you're really I, good at both. Yeah, yeah. She's I can't pick.
9: She's like a One. prodigy. She's amazing at everything yeah, she, she picks like up. At, at the same time, like <coughs> it's crazy.
3: And Willow, what brought you to Willie Mae? Uh. I, I, my mom signed
2: me up and I was like I don't I'd rather sit at home and watch TV but then I went and I was like this is pretty cool and I actually signed up for guitar yeah we the all year, signed up for we different a band. instruments yeah. I signed up for guitar but they put me in vocal I was really pissed but mm-hmm. then uh, got to be with you fabulous people so yeah. it's okay
3: so you mentioned that it teaches about confidence and kind of like what girls can do in the rock and roll world what are some of the lessons or kind of ideas that you've landed upon uh, since being in the rock camp
7: um. I well, I think I think for us, yeah, we've all kind of learned that no matter what you do or if you mess up or if you make a mistake, you rock no matter what. <laughs> and that's something that, that you're taught to, to say whenever you make a mistake is, I rock. Because it, it really gives you empowerment even when you mess up. And every time
3: you make every a time, mistake. Every time every you make time. a mistake. And okay. As, we
7: still say it to this day. And so just I think that's really awesome because then you don't feel bad about messing up and you, you have more room to just kind of play around. And that's that's a big that's a big lesson for me
9: yeah um the biggest thing that rockham taught me uh was that age and gender are not important to the music industry at all because um, when i was little i like always dreamed of being in a band but when i looked forward i thought that it would be when i was at least like 18 or something and here i am um 14 playing drums in Harsh Crowd, which started when we were 11. And um, there are some conflicts that happen, you know, in the music industry where we're not taken as seriously or, you know, there's, you know, this is a sexist world sometimes. But Rock (laughs) Camp teaches us that that's that's nothing to bring us down and that's nothing to stop us because we can do it either way. So,
3: yeah, we've been 12 for like three years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's let's hear a song.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, cool. what are you gonna
3: what do you we'll I'll let you all get set up, uh, but what are you gonna play for so us? So
2: our first song that we're gonna play is called Ten Degrees and uh, it's kinda like a remastered version of the original one that Okay. wrote. So
3: Alright, well we'll let you get set up and then we will have Code live on Snipey Tunes.
5: To play. I don't know you, but you know me. We could have been something to see. You're really nice, but I just can't. You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just don't know. What about me? You're really nice, but I just can't. You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just don't know. What about me? I thought there was a spark with us, now who am I supposed to trust? You wanted her instead of me, so now we're in history. just can't. You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just don't know. What about me? You're really nice, but I just can't. You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just I just can't. You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you. So you just don't know what about me. You're really nice, but I just can't.
3: So how has, uh, as you've all kind of learned new instruments or picked up different ones, how has the songwriting process evolved while still being in the camp?
1: Oh,
7: man. We have switched instruments around. We've written songs and we've thrown them away. We've really, in the past couple of years, we've really, you know, changed. And our writing process has changed and so I think, you know, as you get older, you have different influences and you, like, listen to different types of music. So I think if you look at the past couple of years we've had, that really reflects that. Who,
3: who are your influences? Uh, oh.
2: I think it varies with, like, the different... Uh, but as a collective group, I think we've really been influenced by um, a lot of different bands. But one in particular, I think, is um, this band called um, Tigre. We, we did a cover of them <laughs> when Jet. we first started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the That's
9: Police, a definitely a big one. The funny thing is we all have such different music tastes mm-hmm. um, outside of the band. But then when we come together, we have, like, the same music taste and it all, like... Uh, reflect on our music like for me i my biggest influence and everyone knows this is that i'm obsessed david with david bowie. bowie it's like the rock ballads um mm. the who all that
2: um and then willow you know you have your i'm more like indie, indie mm-hmm. like really slow <laughs> and really sad music
3: <laughs> any bands in particular
2: um i uh, right now i just got really into a band called bad books mm-hmm. which is really good and um I don't know. I also like some of those really, like, kind of, like, <laughs> trash, punk, like, 21 Pilots.
3: <laughs>
2: but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it all comes together in our music,
3: so. Uh, do you feel that the harsh crowd sound is still evolving?
9: Definitely. Uh, definitely. definitely. We, the
2: jazz, we did this uh, jazz we, thing... Yeah. Um, Yeah, we
9: experiment a lot with that, and, you know, we started off kind of, like, poppy, and then we had this conflict in the middle where we could, like, we were only writing slow songs, and Mm -hmm. we were like, where's the rock and roll? We were in a rush, We're losing it. And then we, like, we started Don't Ask Me, which we're going to play later, and that was, like, the start of our new sound, and we're, I think it's a lot more, like, fun and, like, upbeat now, and more punk from when it was when we first started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Don't Ask Me is the
7: name of our EP that just came out over the summer, and I think that really captures you know where we were like in that time because our, our, our next cp is going to be completely different so each it's like little time capsules of of what we're into at the moment
3: i mean being in the camp is really interesting because you know bands that are don't have access to that they're just kind of pushing themselves but how does being in the camp uh or does it push you or make force you to evolve or look at different things or how does it help yeah. or hinder being in the band
2: oh definitely it does yeah. um it's I mean, being in my band, uh, Lena and I, I think we were the only ones. We went to camp after we, like, kind of, like, started a harsh crowd. And I think it just made me see how talented people really are. And, like, just, like, it made me want to get better because I saw all these kids that were, like, so amazing. And, like, I, I just felt really, really humbled. And I was like, now I need to get better so that I can represent these people and... Uh, take my opportunities and, you know, get Mm -hmm. make our band great.
9: (laughs) Yeah, when we're performing, we're representing the Rock Camp, so we're representing all the things it speaks, which is really, really important, because the message the Rock Camp brings out is really, really spectacular, and it's something that should really be spread to everyone, so that's um, part of our goal when we're doing interviews, when we're doing performances, like to make sure that we, like as a band, and our songs are just bringing that message out in itself, but also
8: to speak of it as well. Yeah, without camp, I don't even know where I would be right now. <laughs> I'm so oh man, like, I can't imagine watching Netflix. What I, what I would be doing right now.
3: I mean, and what do you see? I mean, you, so, you spoke of confidence, but do you see it affecting people at different ages, like the eight year olds versus <laughs> right. the 12 year olds, the 18 year olds? You see that it spreads the same message, or how yeah. does it affect? And yeah. especially for you, as you move through it through different ages, how does you know? What lessons are you taking from it that you might not have seen it first?
7: Um, I think it's really, really interesting to go to camp because you you see eight-year-olds and then you see eighteen-year-olds, mm. and they they interact and they, they're they learning the same things and they're kind of going through the same process. So everybody's kind of really going, doing the same thing. So it really doesn't, like I've learned, it doesn't matter what your age is because I've created friends at camp who are 10 years older than me. <laughs> like it, it really, it, I don't think the age affects anybody because you're, you're so unified. The camp just brings everybody together so intensely and the counselors and everybody is just like, it, you become a family within the week. And yeah. so... The camp really just unifies everyone.
2: Yeah, I mean, also, though, I feel like when you're, like, eight it's a really about, like, having fun and being mm-hmm. in that band and being like, oh, my God, I'm in a band. <laughs> but then when you get older, you kind of, like... Like, when I was little, when I was eight and going to camp, I was like, oh, my God, these workshops are so boring. Yeah. But then, like, when you get older, you start, like, really appreciating the message that camp has while also, like, having so much fun and being like, oh, my God, I'm in a band. But <laughs> also you learn stuff. Yeah.
9: yeah. Yeah, it's fun to, like... Since I, I went when I was eight, and I went when I was, like, 10 and 11, I think, and then 11 was when we formed the band, and then I went... Um, I think last summer I don't remember but you know after I was a teenager so like there was all these different like periods of time where I was a different age and yeah I definitely agree with Willow with that where the the, it kind of changes your mindset but um, starting it eight years old uh the confidence is there it's probably like the you get that's where you get your confidence right there like that's definitely that was the first time I performed on a like real stage and it was like something incredible and it it had like the just the thought of like oh my god I'm, I'm playing in a band yeah. I'm like making music even now I'm like oh my god I'm playing in a band <laughs> I'm making music so it's it's the same thing and but yeah I definitely agree the appreciation for like feminism and what we're doing and like why we're playing here and why we're in a band right now? That's that's grown over the years.
3: Amazing. Uh, can we hear another song? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. What's this one?
2: Uh, we're gonna play "Grim." Okay. Newer song.
3: Great.
5: She's running through the forest Run faster, she's got a lot for us She can't go home to quick Jack be quick Climb up your green candlestick You're running out But he's too slick Jack's got your things He's robbed your house But you're too slow
3: Your next EP is coming out. Uh, what is the process that is going into that and how it will differ from the one that you mentioned uh, that came out this past summer?
8: A lot of recording. <laughs> um,
7: yeah. Um, for our last EP, we recorded at over, I think, three different places um, because we were just trying to feel for like the right sound that we wanted for the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this next one, I think we really have an idea of like what we're really looking at. And so um, we have the songs and... I think we just want to dive head first. Like we, we, we found our, our recording place that, that, that we
9: really love and so
7: that's where is it? Take it away, Lena. <laughs> Oh, Lena's
1: uncle. So,
9: yeah, my whole family is kind of like a big part of this band. Like my dad's like a like a dance mom, but band dad.
7: And um,
0: my uncle
9: has, has always <laughs> yeah, just getting the middle finger from my dad right now. Um, no, but uh, my uncle has always been a really great musician. So he has a uh, his own music studio in his basement, um, and it has like a bunch of cool things. And he's great at like mixing everything. Um, and so yeah, that's a great. It's recording is so crazy. There's so many different things that come into it. It's not just like playing and then you record it on your phone and then there it is. It's like you know the the bass track and then the lyrics and all this crazy stuff. And the most important thing about recording is that you cannot be shy about. Um, your sound and what you want so whoever is working with you you really have to be clear on what you what you want it to be because it's like the it's your final masterpiece like that's what you're bringing out to people so you have to like make sure you're comfortable with telling them oh like could you turn this down i would rather have this so i think it's going to be a lot easier to open up this time because we weren't really used to that um the first time and now i think we'll be more comfortable with uh really expressing what we want so i think that's going to be a great experience Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i'm definitely going to bring more cough drops this time
7: Yeah. <laughs> it's also just so fun because we, we get to go upstate and we just get to kind of hang out and really enjoy each other's company while we create this really interesting thing that's, that everybody will get to hear soon So
8: yeah um, in the recording you have to like do like three different bass tracks and div- three different guitar tracks and then do it over and over again just to make sure it's right mm-hmm.
3: so uh, we now know <laughs> how do you balance all of this with school
8: oh my gosh <laughs>
7: It's a lot of scheduling. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> well, it's mean, it's, a, it. I it's,
3: a, I mean, it's a, a good question, just based on like other yeah. people, other kids who are looking up to you, about how to make it happen.
9: It's totally a great
7: question.
9: (laughs) A a big band conflict is like scheduling. Like a lot of bands have conflicts with different people's schedules, but the good thing is weekends are a thing. So (laughs) weekends are like all busy. Saturday is harsh crowds day. Yeah, so Saturday that's that's it. And then when it comes to gigs, there's a lot of times where we played gigs on school nights and stuff, which was I'm not complaining at all. But, yeah, it does sometimes interfere with school. Like, yeah. I I don't and think homework. any of us would have a problem with leaving school early for a gig. We, uh, no. you No. Know, <laughs> nope. Coming to school late for something. But <laughs> um, it, it all depends on what, the, you know... It's every, possible. It, it, it all has to do with the cooperation and, you know, working together and stuff. But, yeah, it could be a conflict sometimes. Yeah, but, like,
2: yeah. I mean, for bands that are starting out, you might, like, look at it and be like, oh, my God, this is so much time that I'm going to spend with these people and I'm going to die. But it's, like, when you actually go into it, I mean, for some of us, like, Brianna, it's, like, a lot of time. Yeah. But, like, it's not, like, it's not, like, like, we love each other and yeah. we love being in this band, so it's not a pain to put in the time. Yeah, like, yeah. it's really rewarding at mm-hmm. the end, like, to be able to play our music to
9: and show it to people and to record, like, it's all worth it because, you know, even just playing together in rehearsal is rewarding because it's, like here we are and we're making music together. So it's really like, you have to be passionate about it. Like you can't just show up like as if it's school and be like, Oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but if you really love music and you love the people you're working with, then it's great. She
3: speaks the truth. <laughs> um, I want to make sure we get one more song in, but is there any type of wisdom or insight that you would impart to future all bands that you've learned from your three years of being in harsh crowd and with the, the rock camp that you could, you know, share to someone who's just picking up the bass or, sticks for the first time Just <laughs> i would say
8: just do it yeah just dive in don't be afraid to yeah, say what sure. you want to say
2: yeah. and um yeah be yourself because like i mean if you're gonna be in a van you might as well Get be the full you like i'm i'm really 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 weird crazy and crazy as they can all tell tell <laughs> but um i just say be yourself and do what you love um I would say don't
9: let anyone call you a girl band or a child band. Um, mm. don't, that's not a compliment. Even if you like the people saying, like, oh, you're really great for a girl band or for kid band like I wouldn't say like punch them in the face <laughs> but make sure or maybe, right. maybe, oh, maybe you could if it. that's yeah. the way you want to go then that's cool but, I, but don't let that happen because um, if, if, you're, if you want to be in a girl band and you just want to make music and you're all girls then it's not a girl band um, it's not it's a, a boy band. band it's not a girl band it's just a band and just because you happen to be girls all girls some girls then that's it then it's just a band so don't let people say that about you
3: that is great I think, uh, well, before we go to the last song, where can people find your first EP? Where can people (laughs) Um. get all the information?
7: Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, Amazon, Amazon, Apple, Apple Music. Music. Yeah, pretty much everywhere.
3: And do you have a website, Instagram, Twitter, awesome. Snapchat? Yeah,
2: all it's just social media. At Chad, um, yeah. With all the social media. Mm-hmm. Okay. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us. Look us up.
3: Okay. Um, Don't be strangers. Well, thank you for coming by. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate you. So cool. um, pizza party after this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, what, yeah that's why I came. Yeah. That's why. That's most why most bands come anyway. Um, what is the last song that you're gonna play? For us.
8: the last song we are going to play is the name of our ep and it's called don't ask me
3: okay all right well thanks for listening um and we will be back next week with another episode of snacky tunes One, two, three, four.
7: you come around and ask me say